Welcome to the Journey Through Life podcast. I'm Justin Barton, and I'm the host of this show. I'm very grateful to have you as my listener today. As you listen today, or to any of our other episodes, past, present, or future, and you have the name or image of a friend or family member pop into your mind, please share that episode with them. Acting on that thought can and will bring blessings and joy to you and to that person that comes to mind. I'm very excited to continue this very special to me 12-week series of the Journey Through Life podcast. This series is called Journey in Recovery. I have interviewed many different people from lots of places and lots of different backgrounds on one of each of the 12 steps of recovery is laid out originally in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, before you shut this off and say, hey, this doesn't apply to me, I'm asking you to please give it a shot for the next several weeks. Whether you or I are an actual addict or not, I know that we all have weaknesses in our lives. Some of those may be something that no one knows about but ourselves, but we really wish we could move past them. But try as we will, we have not been able to leave them behind. I have experienced that learning and applying the 12 steps of recovery can be beneficial to any human being who goes into it with real intent and applies the principles of these steps into their lives. And I believe that each of them will be able to move through any addiction, any habit, any self-destructive or unwanted behavior. Now, these can include everything from drug and alcohol addiction, prescription medications, cutting, eating disorders, or something as seemingly insignificant, but just as gripping as video games, smartphones, uh, social media. Today, we will be hearing the experience, strength, and hope of Joe C. in his living in Step 7 in his life. Now, a heads up on this one. The sound quality is a little rough in spots on this episode. The online recording did not come through great, but the content is amazing. So please listen past the flaws in the sound and to the beauty of what is being said. If this is your first episode of this series, or of this podcast as a whole, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to all eight of the previous episodes of this Journey in Recovery series at some point. There are 12 steps and they are in a prescribed order for a reason. So, whether you do that now, or after you listen to this episode, I heartily invite you to listen to the others, and then continue with steps 8 through 12 over the next several weeks. Step 7 reads, Humbly ask him to remove your shortcomings. Now him, talking about God, or our higher power. In this conversation, Josie talks about a beautiful, long relationship with his wife, and his awakening, his awakening late in life to his own issues, her support and help, her death, and how the steps of recovery and the program have and do help him to see that it keeps getting better. He also talks about one of my new favorite four-letter words, stay. You will gain a ton from this episode as you listen and learn and then apply what you learn. In this and other conversations, You may be introduced to concepts that you have never before considered, or may even seem contradictory to what you have considered truth for perhaps your whole life, but these concepts are shared as honestly and openly as possible, using real experiences that cannot be denied as being true to these people sharing them. While you listen, take mental or physical notes of ideas of self-improvement that pop into your head. Then, at the end of this podcast, review those notes and make a plan about how you can implement them. Now kick back hit the road, work out, do house or yard work, or whatever you do while listening to podcasts, and be ready to learn 
and feel and gain insights like you may have never considered before. Now stay and listen to this awesome conversation with Joe C. I am sitting here with Joe. And Joe, let's start this off. Introduce yourself as if you were in a 12-step meeting, how you would typically introduce yourself, and then we'll go from there. I'm Joe, a sexaholic, uh, and many other icks, but this happens to be the one I'm in at the moment. I'm in AA as well. Um, I've been in the in program in both since March 29th, 2012, which was the beginning of a new life. Mm for me that I didn't even realize and I'm realizing more now. Love the program. I've been continuously sober well in advance of the uh, sobriety definition of SA, but certainly sober, not perfect in growing. Mm. Well, very good. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Tell me a little bit about your journey into an addictive, an addiction umbrella. You know, tell me about, maybe your first experiences, and then when you kind of had that aha moment of, I think I've got a problem here that I'm not able to manage on my own. Well, um, as I look back over my life, I have done that a lot in the program. I've been through the steps countless times, really, um, because they're a constant cycle. Um, I can see uh, my craziness Going back as far as kindergarten, uh, I was a control freak. My mother was a home economics teacher in the little town that I came from in Kansas. And uh, I was in kindergarten. She asked the kindergartner teacher how I was. So Joe Thomas is great. When we want to go in, he lines all the kids up by height, tells them what to do, keeps them in order. And then I realized that another time is in kindergarten, you have these little blankets or little rugs you lay on nap time. I always moved my rug behind a, a, a little girl so I could look up her skirt, and I had no idea why I was doing it. Mm. I go back all the way to there. I had wonderful parents. I can't say anything wrong about them. They were older. My dad was 46. My mother was 36 when I was born. Mm. Um, they were perfect parents, not necessarily perfect people, but perfect parents. And the minute I stepped out of the door, I felt I didn't belong. I was lost. I didn't know how to deal with people. I didn't know how to make friends. It wasn't that I was a shy, particularly. I just I felt uncomfortable. So as with most addicts, they either go one of two ways. They either become pushed and driven to be successful, or they kind of fall back into the shadows. Well, I was the former. So I was the great student. I was valedictorian in my class, good at sports. Uh, good at music, won a gold medal in the state of Kansas on the clarinet. We took piano lessons from two teachers, the whole business. Went to the University of Kansas, was there for a couple of years in pre-med, decided life sciences didn't work for me. So, classic um, addict. I, the campus at the University of Kansas is on hills, unlike the rest of Kansas that's flat. I walked down the hills to the uh, Lawrence, Kansas. I came to the nearest recruiter's office and I enlisted in the army at the beginning of the Vietnam War. Mm. And the guy said, well, bright guys like you, there's a, 
a group called the Army Security Agency, but you have to enlist for four years. So we go being what it was, I did, and I spent four years in the service, and that brought well, brought me to New England and uh, to the Army Security Agency training in school. I finished first in all my courses, was trained in computers, and did that, and that became my lifelong career. So everything that I do, I do intensely. Then I uh, got to working for a, a company, even while I was in the service, working... <sighs> 80 plus hours a week era, 40 plus hours in the service. And I know there's only 168 hours in the week and that was commuting and sleeping. Mm. That's the same kind of addictive tendency. Uh, after I got out, I, uh, went to work for that company. I married a lady that I met there. Uh, we dated for about four years and then married and, uh, we were married for almost 50 years and she passed away in June. Oh, cheer. And I'm happy to say the last almost seven and a half years of our marriage, I was in the program and I became a better person, I think, and um, finished this off in, in, a, in a recovery mode. She, by the way, just missed her 50th anniversary in AA, was living with a person who was in recovery the whole time and doing what, and I took her to meetings I saw all the slogans on the wall, interesting, told her often that, uh, that these were great programs, but if the price you had to pay to get in was too high. And I didn't know I was working on paying the price mm. all along. Um, so I was a workaholic. I smoked and it was nothing for me. I was intensely working to smoke two to four packs of cigarettes in a day. You know you're a workaholic when um, I can say I've seen the sun rise three times without going to bed. Mm. That kind of craziness. Uh, didn't drink a lot, but when I drank, I drank to oblivion. You know, not a great deal of no affairs, uh, kind of emotionally absent in the marriage. Uh, but then things changed in my work environment, and I was less directly involved in the work, so I had less intensity. So I, uh, computer being what it is, I started gravitating into pornography. Hmm. Then masturbation. That became a dark place that I went into. And uh, at the end, my park bench was my uh, sofa in my family room with the lights out, with the TV on, surfing looking for lust hits and keeping cycling and cycling and cycling until one day my wife walked up behind me and said, what's the matter with you? And that's the beginning. And um, then I came to the program and uh, gradually got into it. I got a great sponsor that when I, I actually took a white ship down in Key West at a, a, an AA clubhouse. And that's when I really started, I call that my day of beginning in all the kinds of addiction, mm. smoke, drinking, SA. I started out a bit in SAA, um, but while I met some wonderful people that were sober, their sobriety definition was way too soft in what they did. And then my wife, the guiding light of my life, kept looking to, because she was going crazy with what I was, found a lot of things and uh, we came across SA. I dove into that and uh, found it to be the right place. And all of a sudden, I started making friends. I started being able to talk like I never talked before. 
when I talked to guys, it was, uh, if I got beyond sports, it was a miracle. Women, they were just something that were sex objects to me, although I talked with them a bit. But every time I looked at them, they were somebody that I wanted to be, probably go to bed with and lusted over. And that all gradually changed. Hmm. So that's a bit about who I am. Yeah, I know that's a great backstory, and I really appreciate it. So your wife was an active AA member for nearly 50 years of her life. and It you, would have been August 23rd. She died June 28th. Wow. And you were quite involved in her program, like you said, taking her to meetings and seeing the, the things on the wall. But the price, you said, was too high to get in but and, and do anything about it. it didn't resonate with me that I had any of that. Right. Now, the awakening, was the awakening that you had any of that? Was it when your wife came up behind you? It was I, actually, that was a bit of it. That caused me to get rid of all the cable channels and everything on TV. But it wasn't it completely. It happened after the Super Bowl in 2012. And she hadn't watched it, and um, I did. She, and then the next morning, she came downstairs, and I made some pretty raunchy, off-colored jokes. And that's when she looked at me and said, and then we had our moment of confrontation and she was really just scared out of her wits. And she went on the computer on her own and kept digging and digging and digging and came across a book called Setting in a Rowboat, Throwing Marbles at a Battleship. And um, we got that. And at my first blush, I sort of rejected it because what would a Mormon tell me? Mm. My, my prejudices. In retrospect, it turned out to be the catalyst because there's a, a, a one piece that he put in called the ABCs of addiction, which now I give to most of my sponsees because I tell them this is the best description of addiction I've ever read anywhere, anytime. Hmm. No, that's really, really neat. I was actually sponsoring someone um, through the steps. And he said, Hey, have you ever heard of this sitting in a rowboat throwing marble, marbles at a battleship? And I said, that's the dumbest title to anything I've ever heard in my life. And he said, well, I'm going to send it to you. And it was a game changer. It it yep. really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Yep. And this fellow, when he wrote it, as I recall, was only 18 to 24 months in the program. He wrote these, it was just a series of things that he wrote that have been, that he consolidated in, but it just so powerful not to replace the big book, the 12 and 12, the white book. They're the fundamental uh, nucleus of recovery. As a matter of fact, when I sponsor guys, I make them read the big book from the beginning through Dr. Bob's story, the 12 and 12 front to back, the white book front to back. And then I said, now, You've got some academics. Now we can actually talk about recovery. Mm. So that's really, really interesting. So as you look back at your experience, I mean, you've got a lot of compulsive behaviors that have followed you from pretty much day one in your life, you know? Right. That you didn't recognize as necessarily a real problem. They were just a little problem, I think. They were just who I was because in... The most fundamental of was work, and that's how I defined myself. So I even used to say to my nieces and nephews, don't have any children of our own, 
And I always told my nieces and nephews, you'll meet people smarter from wealthier families, better connected, more education. But the one thing you can do is outwork them. What I was. And I was successful. I made, made a good living. I, I didn't lose anything uh, material except myself. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to have a wife that for whatever reason loved me enough to stay with me when I was probably um, absent, at least emotionally. I wasn't absent physically. And I, I was there whenever there was a need, but I, I was so wound up in my work and whatever. It was only after recovery I realized what a really smart woman I was married to and how capable she was. And it wasn't that she changed the fog lifted from me. Yeah. Did she ever throughout your, your marriage before her, her approaching you and saying, Hey, you got a problem. We've got to do something about this. Did she ever make comments to you say, Hey, Hey Joe, have you ever considered that you just might need to work these programs here throughout those 40 years leading up to that? No, she never did. Uh, she, she certainly knew that I, uh, the times over drank. And she even gave me articles, but she never considered that I might be an alcoholic, just that I overdid Just that you were like a heavy periodic drinker or something like that. Interesting. So what would you consider your rock bottom to be? I mean, it sounds like you may have shared it, but, but just reiterate that. What was your rock bottom? I think it was being in a black space in my head, not knowing what was wrong, and then sitting in that family room in the dark, looking at TV, trying to find anything that would give me stimulation, being on a computer. I didn't use the computer all that much uh, for pornography because it was a work tool to me because I was in IT all the time. So I just didn't look at it in that kind of vein, although I did some. But it was that, just the blackness of it. I just didn't know where my life was going and what purpose I had. I mean, suicide ran through my head more Mm. than once. It just, I didn't see an out. I just, nothing, none of what she did had any resonance with me. Until we were, until we were, and we had all this stuff and we were at this meeting in the AA clubhouse and we got to the end and there was this gentleman, very nice fellow, Let's weigh about 400 pounds. He got up and we had do chips. And he said, would anybody like a white chip for 24 hours? And I raised my hand and no planning. I think my wife almost fell off the chair, went up. I remember this guy, big guy. I'm not a big guy. Gave me a big bear hug. I can still feel it today. And welcoming me. And it was, it was the beginning of a journey that I'm still on and I love. And that was kind of your your first experience in a meeting that was for you, correct? That's right. And I I looked at those steps, and by the time the meeting was over, I was sure I'd done steps one, two, and three. You know, got it. But I certainly didn't want to go on to four or five or any of that. And I, I thought in my head, well, maybe in a year or two. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, uh, when we got back to Cape Cod, my wife went to a particular meeting. It's a very good one. And she said, you really ought to get a sponsor. So I did. And it happened to be through AA. And, and the guy said, I'll be happy to sp- sponsor you. 
And uh, he said, but you got to do the steps. Here I was, a Catholic convert, having a Jewish sponsor. And this guy owned a construction company, and he had me come over in the morning and spend an hour and a half with me once a week, stop the clock, no work, um, in his conference room. A program called Back to Basics. I don't know if you know it. But it's an accelerated program to go through the 12 steps, like the old days. But my four weeks became nine. Um, and uh, we went through it all. And I remember when we got to step three, he said, well, here we kneel down and say the third step prayer. And I'm thinking, I'm going to kneel down here at the table, hold hands with this Jewish guy that I have nothing in common with, and say the third step prayer hair on the back of my neck stood up, and it still gives me chills. I'm today at a meeting, but, and I told him about my sex addiction problem. He said, well, you know, it's just another manifestation of the same situation, which I've come to find, that it isn't the medication. It's really not lust. It's fear, anger, and resentment, and those character defects that I never dealt with, that I pushed down, pain became intense, and I had to find a way to medicate it. Could be work, could be alcohol, could be sex, whatever. About the only thing I didn't do that I'm aware of is drugs. That was just because it just didn't present themselves. I would have been probably happily to be in that too. So addictive. No, that's uh, really interesting. And I, I love the, the experience you shared sitting, kneeling down with your, as you said, your Jewish sponsor that you had no you know, religious type similar, real similarities with, but it was a, this life changing hair on the back of your neck, standing up. Experience. Absolutely. And another time was we came up, we were coming upon the ninth step and we were going through things and we had the list and everything. He said, these two people seem to keep coming up as your major problem. Said, I want you to make amends to them. Well, they were off the Cape and I kind of procrastinated, but I was going to come to see him that following week. And as I was driving to his office, I said, well, I'll call him the phone. In this era of voicemail, I'll get the voicemail and I'll just say, hi, this is Joe, give you a call sometime. Each of them answered. Hmm. And then, I, you know, I wasn't sure what the ninth step was really all about. And I started out by saying what I'm supposed to say. I'm, I'm here to make, I'm in a 12-step program. I'm here to make amends for the things I did. And I got about that far in both cases. And each of them said, oh, no, we should be making amends to you. Hmm. Now, that doesn't always happen to someone, but it happened for me. And it was the, just a, another incredible moment because coming out of that, it was like, well, I, how did I reach them? But more importantly, that for the first time in about 30 years, I didn't have this burning resentment for each one. And I started to realize that what I resented was things that I could have dealt with, but I didn't. And it was really my problem that we had a problem, not theirs. Yeah. No, that's a great experience. And, it, and that was your first experience with working your step nine, basically, right? Yes, it was. Man, those are some good ones to get kicked off with, you know? <laughs> And, uh, and it just made all the difference. Now, if I, if I could talk to you and get myself all fired up about either one of them, but I don't. 
and, and it, all of this in the program and the steps, even though I know we're going to talk about step seven, which, and I'll tell you why it's so important to me, but they've all opened me up. Yeah. They've all gradually caused me to find peace, to live my life smaller in the sense of not spans of time, but just today. And it all paid itself off uh, this year because my wife suddenly started to deteriorate. When we were in Florida, we came back and she went in the hospital on June 2nd and I stayed with her through it all. And on June 28th, I was planning her funeral. It was just the worst of times. We were extremely close and I had the program. I had all these people in other states and other countries that I could connect with, text, email, talk. I didn't have to, I don't know how I would have handled that otherwise. Yeah. Um, and it's carried me through everything. I, I was just in a meeting, we were talking today, as I mentioned, and I said, uh, I just don't know where I would be now if I didn't have the program, the work I've done, what the steps have, have done for me. So I can actually, at her funeral, I gave the, um, the talk. And it came to me that morning, the opening of uh, Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. That was my year. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. Hmm. It's okay, because the program gave me something I never had, a family. It gave me a way of life, and it gave me a connection with a higher power that I don't claim to understand but call God. Yeah. I, had, I was not a, a person who didn't believe, but after I got into the program for a while, I came to realize I didn't have faith. Now I do. And... It was almost once I got into the program and got settled down, my wife and I had close to a 24-7 running uh, program because she's in it, I'm in it, we're so connected. She used to start to tell people, well, Joe's ever the good student. He knows the program better than I do now. You know, she's the one who said one day when we were down in Key West, you know, it might be a nice idea if you got on your knees by the bed in the morning and asked for help. And I'm like, I'm not three years old. I don't have to get on my knees. And it was awkward in the beginning, but what it was doing was giving me a sense of humility. Now I can't imagine not getting up in the morning, getting on my knees, asking for help. And at the end of the day, no matter what I'm dragging on the ground, I don't fail to get on my knees and thank God for what he gave me and ask for help through the night because I have a disease of the mind that keeps working at night when I'm attempting to sleep. Let me do a quick review of, of some things you shared that were really meaningful to me and kind of came back around as you were sharing this this last time. So some of your difficulties as a child was making friends. You didn't feel accepted. You, you had a hard time connecting with people. And then as you grew, as you aged and, and came through life, you weren't able to have children. So you didn't have this nuclear family. You had nieces, nephews, and and an extended family and your wife. But the children wasn't something that was there to help provide an additional foundation. 
you've come into recovery and all of a sudden you shared that the light came on, you were able to talk with people and have real conversations and make real friendships with people. And then your wife is suddenly, she, she, she pretty quickly passes away. I mean, the, the process of it sounds like it came pretty quickly. Now, if you had not got into a recovery place and into a place where you didn't have those types of friends that are all over the world, how do you think that experience with your wife suddenly passing would have gone? It wouldn't have been good. It would have been really ugly. I, I just don't know how I could have, I can't even imagine how I would have dealt with it. Um, you know, the 24 seven intensity of seeing her go, um, the after, you know, I've, I have a nice extended family through her and they're, they're great, but so many program people, um, for the first five months, I couldn't respond to all the cards, letters, etc. And I just started doing that about three weeks ago. Mm. I mean, she got like 22 mass cards. I've got piles of cards everywhere. And a lot of those cards are coming from uh, neighbors, from people in program. I've, I should say that as of today, I've never been to a face-to-face SA meeting. Mm. All of it's been on the phone. I uh, got involved on the phone because there weren't anything locally. I had the AA meetings for face-to-face and um, I became quite active and I'm uh, now the secretary of uh, the 8.30 a.m. Eastern and the 4 p.m. Eastern daily sobriety renewal. Um, When I got involved, there were like five people. We have an average of 50 to 60 people on the calls now. I'm also secretary of the uh, phone-in voiceover intercom. protocol uh, secretary of the virtual intergroup. I've started speaking. Matter of fact, I'll be down in Nashville on a couple of panels. Wow. Well, that's really neat. Thank you, man. Good, good background, good experience, good, painful life experience that, that really your recovery and your relationship with God and with others, your fellow man um, has to this point really lifted you and, and, and saved you basically. Right. Yep. That's awesome. So uh, let's, let's start moving into step seven and I'm going to read what actually, why don't you, I'm sure you've got it. What does tell me the key principle or the phrase that the, the bullet point phrase that step seven is, and then let's talk a little bit about that. Well, there's lots of things on step seven, But the best description of it, which resonates the most powerfully, is found in step 12 of the 12 and 12. You get at the bottom of the second page. uh, Well, now we're going into step 12. But before we do, let's let's go back and review what we've covered in the first 11 steps. And you probably read this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says, then in step 7, we humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings such as he could or would under the conditions of the day we ask. And that progressively has resonated more and more with me because it's, it's really saying that you never get it. It's just today. And the conditions it speaks about are not related to God. 
they're related to me. Mm. How well I'm inculcating the steps into my life, how well prepared I am to be a person walking in recovery. Because as it says at the end of step three in the white book, that famous little couplet, I can't without God, God won't without me. And that's just a refinement on that, saying a different way that God will, God will do it, but I, I have to. And it's not something, it's not like step four. You do an inventory, you clean out the trash can, and maybe you remember something later, but you can actually do that. But you can't do six and seven. I have taken to saying to people, when they ask me about it, that I live inside six and seven. Because I really believe that. I heard one guy in West Palm Beach say that one time. I said, my God, the first person I've ever had said, I don't believe you can perfect any of the steps, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. My first sponsor said he had 29 years at that point. He said he's still working on one, two, and three, trying to do them all. Yeah, and I love that. So, so living inside steps six and seven, Step six reads, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And then seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Um, so we're talking about character defects, shortcomings. Uh, Whatever you want to call them. Emotional tics. Uh, call them anything you want. But they're the things that make up your humanity. They're not things that you ever lose. They're always going to be with you. It's how you deal with them. Hmm. And I try to tell guys I sponsor, if you've really gotten into the steps and you've really worked them, you won't be troubled by your character defects. You'll celebrate them because that's your humanity. It doesn't mean you have to live them. You don't have to act on them. I don't have to be the procrastinator I was at times. I don't have to be the person who wants to, you to think the best of me, and I'll tell you anything I can to get you to do that. I don't have to tell fibs, lies, whatever you want to call them, to make myself look better in your eyes. And I could slip back into that easily if I didn't keep doing what I'm supposed to do every day, because I truly believe that programs like inertia. You either go forward or you go back or you do not stay status quo. It's an everyday event. So as you came into, you know, working your steps and came to step seven, do you remember kind of how your sponsor talked to you about step seven and maybe even step six? Because they do kind of work together. Um, Well, they do, but oftentimes they become less the focus I've found with people. The focus is on four and five, an inventory, and I'll, I'll share it. And so many people don't get beyond there. It's really they get there, and as my wife once said about herself, I pole faulted over six, seven, eight, and nine to ten. Mm. I heard this said one time. It's not my makeup, but it really resonated. Four and five was when you become in touch with yourself. You become, you begin to know who who you really are. In six and seven you start to develop a personal relationship with that power that greater than yourself, you may call a God or something else. And in eight and nine, you finish that 180 degree turn and you become connected to society and are willing to have relationships with people. Mm. 
then 10, 11, and 12 support all of that. But it's in four through nine that you're, you're say, facing the north and you gradually turn completely 180 degrees and face a different direction. And you see life in a different way because you, for the first time, know who you are. You know what you can and can't do on your own. And you understand that the rest of humanity is okay and connect with them. And they're as human as you are. Yeah. Well, I, I really like that. And I've, I've recently heard or read or that, you know, steps one through three are the connection steps connecting oh, yeah. to God steps th- four through nine are the correction steps you know, where I'm correcting, like you said, sure. I'm going south, I need to turn back north, and I'm correcting that. And then 10 through 12 are like the direction steps. Hey, I'm, okay, what do I need to do now? They're all important, and they're all interconnected. They're like that great arch that uh, Bill Wilson talked to and the others in the big book, or they're like an endless circle that you keep continually go around. They're all important. They're all interconnected. You can't leave any of them out or you'll, you won't be successful. Yeah. So tell me how working your step seven looks on a daily basis. Um, well, every morning I do six and seven on my knees. Uh, not because God doesn't know what my character defects are. I need to be sure I remember what they are. And I need to consciously turn them over to God ask him to take them. And I ask for three gifts. I ask for the humility to know that I can't do any of this on my own. Only he can lift them from me. I ask him, secondly, for the willingness to get off my knees and live the 12 steps in every facet of my life, not just on recovery, but in every facet. And finally, I ask for rigorous honesty that I don't self-deceive. I was always cash register honest. I didn't lie on my tax returns, but I definitely wasn't rigorously honest. I give myself excuses. I ignore things. Uh, I promise what I wouldn't deliver. All of that kind of thing. Now, if I have those three things and I actually do them, I, I've said it to people, I, guys I sponsor, and I believe it myself. I have a lock on 24 hours, but only 24. Then I got morning and do it again. Do it again. So there's a phrase in the big book when it comes to steps, when it comes to the word humility, and it has to do with step seven, and it's the phrase right-sized. So what does the term right-sized mean to you in step seven? Is that something you are familiar with? Oh, I'm, I'm aware. What the term humility is used in the context of recovery is totally different from what most people think of humility as being this like, oh, and I'm, I'm humble and I'm not. It isn't that at all. To me, it's the clear recognition. There are certain things I can't do for myself. And only that God that I don't completely understand can do for, for me. I can't get rid of, I mean, God knows in the decades that I was there, I tried to get rid of character defects. I never was successful on my own. It was only when I started asking God to intercede and then use the tools I believe he directly gave us 
that those things begin to change. Hmm. And that, that, that's kind of what that means to be right-sized. Hey, I'm not yes. mouse-like. I'm not cowering in a corner humble. No. But it's also, I'm not this I can demigod do it type thing, you know? But I can do it all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was my own god, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that the work um, ethic, which, you know, can be a very positive, and work ethic is a positive thing. Oh, yeah. But workaholism <laughs> takes that to the extreme, right? Well, it's it's like almost everything. Um, fear isn't a bad thing. You don't want to put your hand in a fire. You're afraid to burn. Anger isn't a bad thing. When you see somebody beating up another person, you can get angry about that. But we just take those and we run with them and we turn them in on ourselves. Uh, they lose their functional purpose that God to it. Hmm. So which of your character defects, if you'd like to share this, is your favorite one, the one that you love to hold on to and it's the hardest one for you to give up on a daily basis? Resentment. Why? Because it's too easy to find fault in other people rather than look at yourself. So there's a tendency to drift back into that. And I don't do that now, or at least if I do, it's only momentary before I catch myself. But um, any of those things can take me out. I have to be realize who I am, where I am, what I'm doing. Um, I have to realize when I'm around people, especially of the female persuasion, that they're real human beings. And uh, one of the things I read one time that was uh, most helpful was, and this is taking the side of things, but um, I read that when you look at a, a person and you want to make them into a lust object, see the words, Jesus died for me on their forehead, mm. or God created me, then they lose the objectivity and become that human being that you think you are. And it changed it the, the way I looked at everything, and still does. I mean, some of the guys I sponsor, they get all concerned because they see a good-looking woman and they're like, wow, well, you're not dead. Mm -hmm. it, a great old saying that comes from Billy Graham, I'm sure he got it from someone else. He said, uh, birds can fly over your head, but you don't have to let them nest in your hair. Mm. So you see that and you move on. You know what it is. If it's bothering you, you turn it over. Roy Kay, in some of his later writings, said he had this prayer. You probably heard it. He said, every day before I go out anywhere, I say, God, keep me sober from every lust today. God, keep me sober in every lust today. Because he knew it was going to happen. Mm. And it wasn't like, wait till you get there and then ask for help. You ask for help before you even get there. It's going to happen. Mm. You're going to see things. You're a human being. You're a person of the flesh. You know, you just is. And he's right. The three-second rule, there's not a half-a-second rule. You, you are what you are. You're that addict. You'll always be that addict. You need to understand it and create a, create a structure for yourself that you operate in comfortably. So you can just live your life. You can be out in the community. You can go 
anywhere. I mean, I, I've been traveling of late since my wife died uh, uh, to France. I went to South Africa and around and about, and I'm through airports and everything, and I don't have the same problems I used to have. It's all the program. It's all the steps, all developing a relationship to God. I'm just don't have to do those things. Hmm. And that's no credit to me. That's a credit to the program, what it offered me, and the fact I totally believe in it. Hmm. It's amazing. If I could, I'd have every, if I was king of the world, I'd have everybody do those steps. Hmm. Whether they're an active addict or not, it'll change their lives. I, I'm, I'm kind of on your side there. I, I'm not a big one on forcing people to do anything, but no, I have found I. such peace in oh, yeah. the steps. But there. if I could, I'd just say, come, try it out. You'll you'll be amazed. Yeah. No, I love that. So as you reflect on your journey in recovery, and as you and, – and I think your introduction to the recovery program is a little bit different than most because your wife had already been in it for – 40 years. Oh yeah. Very active. And so, so you, you kind of had, I don't want to say a soft landing in walking into the doors, but you were familiar with it. You had seen the signs you'd been there, but so many people that I talked to and myself included, when I finally hit that rock bottom and went, I got to do something other than what I've been trying, because obviously what I've been trying for decades is not working but I don't want to walk it through those doors. I am yep. so ashamed of that. How would, how would you invite somebody to walk through those doors the first time to give them the courage, I guess, to do so? Um, it, it really is. I'm not going to tell you what will happen, but I will tell you that if you do, a miracle will enter your life if you just come. I'm not going to promise you when it'll happen, but the best four-letter word I ever found in the program to use on someone who is undecided about what's going to happen, stay. Just stay. You don't have to believe. Believe that I believe it. Believe that I'm telling you what worked for me, not what a book says. But if you stay, you will get what I got. Hmm. And if you make recovery the first thing in your life before your wife, before your kids, before your work, before your church, every one of those will be better. And any one of them you put before, you put at risk of losing because it's in recovery that everything else works. And that's not quantitatively, because I'll hear people talk about, oh, they have this ritual that they do, they read for an hour, an hour and a half, and they do this and that. I'm like, that's nice, but it's qualitative, it's not quantitative. Mm. Some guys, I'll hear go five meetings in a day. I'm like, that's a, one. That's a wonderful thing. Do that. But that alone isn't going to bring you to sobriety. It might get you dry for a while, but there are three stages of recovery to me. There's being dry, there's being sober, and then there's actually being. 
Yeah. So actually, that's a question I want to ask you and have you define maybe. And you mentioned those three phases of recovery. And and, and in my own experience or in the, the things I work with my sponsees on is I ask them periodically, define for me today what the word abstinence means, what the word sobriety means, what recovery means, and what healing means. So I'm going to ask you that. Tell me how you would define each of those phrases, abstinence, sobriety, recovery, and healing. Well, abstinence just means you're not using. Uh, it doesn't mean you've necessarily changed. Abstinence can come from white knuckles. Um, sobriety, you're, you're in somewhat, and you go to meetings maybe, um, and you do some of the things some of the time that, the program asks of you, but recovery is when it becomes your way of life. It isn't just about not medicating. It's not just about defining it as this silo of activities called the program. It's when it becomes throughout your life. It's in every part of your life. It's actually when you start to live the full part of the 12th step. So many people think of the 12th step is you're helping another addict. That's about 40% of what that step talks about. The 60% talks about changing you in all facets of your life. That's where recovery happens. And necessarily, if you're doing that for a while, peace starts to enter your life and healing happens. You're peaceful. You're at peace with who you are where you are. Like I, I said to someone, they were asking me about after my wife died and, and everything. And I said, well, sure, I'm sad about it. And I'm lonely for her. But I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. And I know where I'm going. That's recovery. Mm. Ooh, I love that definition. I know who I am, where I'm going, what I'm doing, where I'm going. I love that. What? So before I wrap this up, I've got a couple more questions, but is there anything else in regards to step seven that you feel is vital that you can share to help somebody better understand it? It's really knowing who you are, uncovering through what the steps give you, who this person is that I call Joe. What, what his makeup is, and that if I'm willing to accept who I am and release it to that God, and I, I refer to it as the God of my not understanding. A lot of people, what do you mean? Well, I don't understand God. If I understood God, I'd be God. I don't, but I trust him, and he sees me through. If I do that and then use those tools he gave me, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to have a good day. And I didn't have a lot of good days before March 29, 2012. Mm. Now I have good days. Even in losing my wife, even in the trauma of that, and all of that, I have good days. Mm. I've got friends. I've got the program. And I've got a God that I know I can talk to. Mm. And it cares. And I've... I've come, I've come to use this phrase, but I, I believe God created all of us in perfection. 
And now we're on that journey back to that same perfection. And he gave us the tools to get there, but he's, it's like, okay, now are you going to use them? He gave us this beautiful gift called free will, and it cuts both ways. Now we are given the tools to show us how to use our free will in the best possible way. If we do, we get a, a, a good life. We get a peaceful life and a comfortable one I'm, where you're uncomfortable inside your skin that I can sit here and talk to a guy I've never met before and tell him more about myself than I've ever told another human being prior to March 29th. Mm. Wow. More than I even told my wife in 40 some years. I was always masked. Mm. Now I'm not afraid to, to let anybody know who I am. It's okay. I am who I am. All the beautiful and all the warts, huh? Yeah. And it's okay. I'm, I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Because when I first got in recovery, and I went through a couple of years, and I, I got to a couple of years of, of recovery, I thought, well, man, I can't get any better than this. Then I got to the third year, and I said, gee, can't get any better than that. And last uh, May, I got my seven-year chip uh, coin, and I said, well, I figured it out. It is better than it ever was and probably will be better when I get my eighth one. Yeah. One day at a time, right? Totally. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to worry about it. I really, truly, my life is one day at a time. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a verse of scripture in Matthew. It's in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Yep. That, you know, I never really understood until just a couple of years ago. And maybe I still don't understand it, but it makes sense to me now. Sufficient is the evil unto the, unto the day thereof. Does that verse mean anything to you in terms of recovery? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, I'm, I haven't thought on it, so I'm, yeah. I'm going to be throwing off. But whatever happens today happens today. And just leave it. I tell people that have fallen over that have acted out, whatever. Okay, you did. Now, what are you learning from it? That's all that it serves. Learn from it so you don't have to repeat it, so you can go forward. Not very many people come in in program and have a straight line out. They have the ups and downs. Some of them, quote-unquote, slip. Mm -hmm. Is that euphemism? I'm not happy but when it's used in terms of sobriety lasting priority, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. That's what happens. People don't just slip. It's been coming. They just have ignored it. Uh, but it's funny you mentioned that because uh, you may know this, but Dr. Bob Smith, one of the co-founders, in his last public talk before he died said, there are three things that underpin recovery. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter on love, and the book of James. And when you've been in program for a while and you read those, you say, oh, my God, the program has been around forever. It just took a couple of guys that were drunks on Skid Row and had all kinds of problems to kind of bring it together, and it hasn't changed in 80 years. Mm. Yeah. I heard somebody say one time, 
what are the two things that came out of the 30s that have remained and unchanged? One is Social Security, and the other is the 12-step program. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be hard-pressed to find anything else, huh? Right. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, very cool. So, there, Joe, there are going to be lots of people hearing this at some point in the future and listening to this who are on the fence, maybe in denial, saying, I don't have a problem. Maybe it's okay. a spouse or a loved one of somebody who has a problem, but that person doesn't want to say anything about it. What hope or what, what advice or thoughts can you give to those people to provide some hope and some motivation to press forward and not sit and in the muck and mire? Listen to people in the program. Listen to people laughing and smiling that you're not. Listen to them telling how their life was at one point and how their life has become. You can have that stay. The miracle will happen. I love that stay. That's a, that's a new four-letter word that I think I'll be using a lot more in my life now. That's good stuff. One last question, and then we'll wrap it up, unless you have anything else you want to share after that. The one last question is, how do you work your step 12 in your life? Oh, well, from a program point of view, I sponsor guys. It took me a while to realize I sponsor everybody the same way. Some are very successful. Some are modestly successful. Some of them fall flat on their faces, which proved to me I have nothing to do with their recovery. I just share my experience, strength, and hope. But more importantly, I try to carry the program across everything that I do, all of my interactions with people, how I see them, um, trying to not think I know what people what their motivations are. I really try as much as I'm capable of doing to live that serenity prayer. Because the only thing I can change is me. I can't change anyone else. I want to have the courage to change me. But at the end, it's God's will, not mine, that'll be done. And so often I hear in meetings, the first three stanzas said, and not the fourth one. And that's probably the most important one in the serenity prayer. Thy will, not mine, be done. And it's okay, because his will may not be mine. My will wasn't for my wife to die. But it was, that was the way it was. And toward the end, um, it was close to the end, when this all came up, family asked me, um, are you, you're not going to tell Margaret about what's going on. I said, of course I am. Because if I lie to her, she'll find out and then she won't trust me for anything. So we were down to the end and she was in that state where people are, they get comatose, but they still hear. And I, I leaned over to her and said, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want you to go. But I know you're going to need to, and it's okay. That's what the program Awesome. Joe, thank you so much for sharing your life, your faith, your strength, your hope, your experience. And it gets better. That's the greatest thing I know. It'll get better. 
Well, there you have it. It will get better. And there you have step seven. Humbly ask him to remove your shortcomings. Now, don't you just re resonate with Josie? I feel and see him in much of my own life and experience. Now, if you felt something in your heart or mind that is motivating you to act on it, whether that be to share this episode or this entire series of the Journey Through Life podcast with a loved one, or to start taking some steps yourself to get a personal shortfall strengthened, please, I ask you, act on it. It can and will make all the difference in your life. And once you start acting on it, stay. Stay. You will find miracles in your life and in the lives of those around you. It's an amazing thing. Now, for the housekeeping part of this program, please go and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at, at JTL Podcast. Like and follow us. We have recently started reposting old and original episodes of the Know and Do podcast on Facebook and in our blog at www.jtlpod.com. To learn of the origins of this project and podcast, I would also be honored if you went and checked those out too. You can also drop us a note about your own experiences, strength, and hope at thejtlpodcast at gmail.com. Please visit our sponsors, who I purposely did not put at the beginning of this episode or any other for this 12-week series, but they really are helping the podcast continue forward. They are alifeuntold.com, shepherdbrackets.com, and radfordpineshomedecor.com. Use promo code JUSTIN at alifeuntold to save 10% on your order, and use promo code JTLPOD5 at Shepherd Brackets and Radford Pines to save 5% on your orders there. We're seeing a lot of action right now on those sites, and it is really exciting. I'm really grateful to you, our listeners, who are using those codes. It's really helping me be able to improve this program so that future episodes I'm able to pay a professional editor to take care of and hopefully get these sound issues taken care of. Um, but uh, really grateful for that. Um, these conversations that I have recorded in this Journey in Recovery series have been life-changing for me as I have been applying many new concepts into my own daily life from the lessons I am learning, and I am definitely becoming a different and better person for it. Have a fantastic week. Press forward one day at a time. Stay. It will make a huge difference. Thank you. Mm -hmm.